Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. We're only two weeks in, but we already know that 2024 will be remembered as the year of the election. 2024 is expected to be the largest expression of democracy in human history. Not only with the U.S. presidential election, but those in India, Indonesia, the Ukraine. We have in 2024 more people voting than in any other year in the history of the world. Ghana, Mexico. Countries that are home to 4 billion people, half the world, are set to cast ballots in elections this calendar year. The United Kingdom, European Parliament, and many others. But the very first election of this monumental year, which takes place tomorrow, might actually be one of the most consequential. One of them I'm looking at is Taiwan. The result of that election could further provoke an already very tense situation between China and Taiwan. Tomorrow, the Taiwanese people head to the polls to vote in a new legislature and a new president. And there's one issue that's quite literally looming over the election. Though it's the second day in a row that we've seen these balloons from China flying near Taiwan. Last week, China launched several balloons across the airspace in Taiwan with one clear message. Big Brother is watching. As Taiwan goes to the polls, China has already denounced the presidential front-runner as a separatist and a troublemaker. And if he wins, it might provoke a dangerous reaction with global consequences. The Chinese military officials have told their U.S. counterparts that Beijing, quote, will never compromise on the issue of Taiwan. China urged the U.S. to stop arming Taiwan, which is holding elections this week. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, could Taiwan's election start a war? I'm Richard Lloyd Perrin. I'm the Asia editor of The Times. And this week I'm in Taipei, in Taiwan, reporting on the election. Richard, 
It's very early in the year, but we already think this is going to be one of the most significant news events of 2024. Just explain why this election matters so much. This election matters because Taiwan matters so much. Uh, Taiwan, this small island in East Asia, could well turn out to be the focus of a future regional or even global conflict. It's one of the world's most dangerous global flashpoints. The election tomorrow will determine who will be the next leader of Taiwan and who will steer the island through these very choppy waters. And as a backdrop to an already tense situation, Beijing has been ratcheting up the tensions even more over New Year. Just remind us, what has President Xi been saying? Well, President Xi Jinping gave, as he always does, a New Year address to the nation uh, in which he, he essentially repeated China's long-standing position. The reunification of China is a historical inevitability, and compatriots on both sides of the Taiwan Strait should join hands and share the great glory of national rejuvenation. Our goal is grand and simple. He said all Chinese on both sides of the Taiwan Strait should be bound by a common sense of purpose and share in the glory and rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. That message will have rung out loud and clear two weeks before the election. You're there at the moment in Taipei. Are there any signs of the Chinese trying to interfere in these elections in any other way? Uh, yes, there are. They vary from menacing military exercises, military planes and naval vessels coming quite close to Taiwan in the strait between the island and, and the mainland. That's been going on for a while. There's also a lot of evidence that Chinese authorities are using social media to transmit divisive or, or propagandistic messages. There was even a case recently of a, a very famous Taiwanese rock band called Mayday, who have been accused in China of the crime of, of lip syncing. Lip syncing is, is a crime in China. Is Who is, isn't that quite standard? Yes. Not, not at all, no. If the Chinese enforcers were able to see a lot of uh, Western pop music, they'd be outraged, <laughs> I think. But anyway, the, the point of this is, the idea is that they've been using this, this means to encourage this band to come out for China. So this election clearly matters to the Chinese authorities. They're trying to send out all sorts of misinformation campaigns. Do they have a particularly preferred candidate? I mean, just take us through, for, for such an important election, just take us through the runners and riders. Yeah, I mean, the, essentially at this late stage, the contest is between two parties. The ruling party is the Democratic Progressive Party, which has been in power for the last eight years. So President Tsai Ing-wen, the country's first female president, was elected in 2016 and re-elected four years ago. She can't stand because her, uh, she's served out her two terms. But her vice president, a man called William Lai, is running and is shown in the most recent opinion polls to have a rather narrow lead. I always say, peace is our destination. Democracy is our compass. Mm. We have to, we have no choice to navigate bravely through this complicated situation. The DPP, as it's called, 
essentially represents people who feel themselves to be part of a modern, independent nation with its own identity. China is very unhappy with the DPP. The DPP government and China do not have any dialogue or direct communications. China regards the DPP as a a dangerous separatist force and separatism. The independence of Taiwan is the thing that it most aggressively and viscerally opposes. So that's the the continuation candidate, really. This is the man who is currently vice president going for the top job. He's a known quantity. Who's his main competitor? His main competitor is a man called Ho Yui, who is the candidate of the the Kuomintang, the Nationalist Party, known as the KMT. The most important thing at this stage is that we in Taiwan still have to stabilize this area in the Taiwan Strait. Therefore, we must first improve our own national defense armaments and our own self-defense capabilities. Of course, in the process of improvement, we will start with dialogue. With the current situations in Taiwan, in fact, we still have a long way to go. They have their roots, their historical roots, in mainland China. They were originally the nationalist movement of General Chiang Kai-shek, which was defeated by Chairman Mao's Communist Party in 1949 and fled to Taiwan. And they are, I mean, they're certainly not communists. They reject communism, authoritarianism. They're a democratic party these days. But they very much look to China as the most important player in Taiwan's international dimension. They take the view that a small island nation like Taiwan can't exist in the long term without a continuing relationship with China. I suppose there is a danger that here in the West we'll see this election as a poll on Taiwanese independence and how the people of Taiwan want to relate to China in the future. But you're there at the moment. I mean, is that what people are actually voting on? That is no doubt a very important issue and at the forefront of many people's minds. But of course, it's not just about that. Uh, I was out uh, the other evening at an election rally in a a county called Yunlin, a town called Huwei. I'm in the town of Huwei, which is a smallish city about an hour and a half south of Taipei on the bullet train. And I'm at the Huwei night market. Every Taiwanese city has one of these with stalls selling delicious food, noodles, dumplings, that kind of thing. And the the space in front of the market is filled with a, a crowd of people, probably a couple of thousand. And they've come here for a rally of the Democratic People's Party of Taiwan. I mean, lots of things came up there. The current president who was speaking there was boasting about her record on, for example, LGBT rights. So Taiwan is, I think, the only country in Asia where a same-sex marriage has been made legal. They're very proud of that. So a big cheer for President Tsai Ing-wen at the end of her speech. She said that an election is like a time machine. If you vote for the right person, you go forward. If you choose the wrong person, she said you end up going back. So it's not just about national security by any means. And Richard, you began by saying this is one of the tensest flashpoints 
in the world at the moment. Just stepping back a bit, remind us how we got there. I mean, Taiwan, to to begin with, with the basics, is it a country? Officially, it's not a country. No, it doesn't have a seat at the United Nations. And only a very small number of small governments recognise it diplomatically. Taiwan is, you know, a kind of medium-sized island, uh, 100 miles off mainland China. So it's not close to China. It's quite a wide strait and a very choppy and difficult one to navigate. And for, you know, thousands of years, it was inhabited by uh, what are described as Austronesian people. And then in the 17th century, uh, European colonists came in, Spain and the Dutch set up essentially forts with kind of trading areas. During that period, they began to bring in people from China to work for them, essentially. And then the colonists departed. A famous Chinese pirate drove out the Dutch and was the first to really kind of rule Taiwan as a, a political entity. It doesn't have a it doesn't have an ancient history as part of China. No, I mean China claims it does, but I think you know most independent objective historians would say, well, no, not at all, or at least they would say it's a lot more complicated than that. And then the. the Japan came in and they ruled Taiwan as a colony rather successfully. And then they, of course, were defeated in 1945. The end of the Second World War. That's right. So in 1945, the Japanese are defeated uh, and withdraw. And then on the mainland, there is this titanic struggle between the communist forces of Chairman Mao and the nationalist forces, the original KMT of uh, the Generalissimo Chiang Kai-shek. And this was the the Chinese Civil War. And it ended with the victory of the communists, the the defeat of the nationalists. And the defeated nationalists uh, fled across the Taiwan Strait and came to Taiwan. And they brought with them, among other things, the imperial art collection, which is now in an absolutely magnificent museum in in the centre of Taipei. I mean, the the greatest collection of Chinese art in the world. And they also brought with them the Chinese gold reserves. So that was a great advantage in establishing, effectively, a a new country. And, And Taiwan is officially, I suppose, called the Republic of China. Yes, it is. So when the Chiang Kai-shek led his nationalists over the strait into Taiwan, they continued to insist that they were the rightful rulers of China. So the Republic of China is the name, the official name of Taiwan, as opposed to the People's Republic of China, which is is communist mainland China. At this stage, what is their relationship with China? What's the understanding? Immediately after the nationalist defeat in 1949, uh, for for quite a long time, it was effectively a state of war. The People's Liberation Army of Communist China tried very determinedly to seize offshore Taiwanese islands and so on. There was fighting, people were killed. It It was very tense and difficult. And during that period, until 1987, Taiwan itself was a a very harsh dictatorship. Chiang Kai-shek was a dictator. The opposition were were locked up, killed. It it was uh, a very difficult period. 
After a decade of almost gullist inaccessibility, the Generalissimo submitted to a television interview. Chang refused to give a spontaneous interview. He would only agree to give his views if questions were submitted in advance. No follow-up questions permitted. Mr. President, with regard to the ping-pong visits to Communist China by the United States, does the, do you regard this change in policy between the United States and Communist China as a direct threat to the Republic of China? The Chinese Communist invitation and the visit of the American table tennis team to the Chinese mainland are merely new approaches to the international united front intrigues of the Peiping regime. Such Chinese Communist tactics of external infiltration and subversion have borne their first fruit. Eventually, to simplify a complicated story, Taiwan became uh, a democracy and also flourished economically. So by the 1990s, early 2000s, it was a different political relationship. And there were periods where the two sides, for example, affected a much closer economic relationship, a business relationship, in the hope that this would bring them together politically. They eventually came up with something called the 1992 Consensus. China and Taiwan agreed that there is only one China, which includes Taiwan. But what they didn't agree on was who it is and, and who runs it. That does leave Taiwan in this grey area now. Moving on to where the country is in, in present times, as you've been moving around the country ahead of this election, what, what have people been telling you? So, for example, I was at a, a big DPP rally the other night in Yunlin County at the town of Huei. I met a young man, a 23-year-old student. He told me that he thinks the DPP has gone too far in alienating China in a way, and he wants to see more communication across the strait. I think for the most important thing is communication. Communication between China and Taiwan. So I think um, it's not a good idea. Um, we always tell them, oh, we, we have, we have to we have, um, fight against China. And I talked to a 33-year-old woman there who said that she's worried that if the KMT was to win, they would, in a way, submit and capitulate to China. Are you concerned about the relationship with China across the strait? So, if, if it's DPP win the election, she won't uh, concern about it. But if KMT won the, ele win the election, uh, she is afraid Taiwan will become the next Hong Kong. They would compromise with China and Taiwan could end up becoming another Hong Kong, where, of course, in recent years, political rights, which have been guaranteed after independence from Britain, have been suppressed.
Coming up, why does America care so much about Taiwan? And does it care enough to go to war if China were to invade? That's in just a moment. This weekend, Time subscribers can catch the latest episode of Inside the Newsroom. It's our new behind-the-scenes series on Apple Podcasts, just for subscribers on the Stories of Our Times feed. This week, it's Times cartoonist Peter Brooks guiding you through his daily schedule. Visit thetimes.co.uk forward slash bonus podcasts to find out more. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Richard, we began this episode by talking about why the Taiwan elections are so consequential for people around the globe. Just taking us back a bit, explain why that's the case. To be blunt, why does America care so much about this island? Well, there are several reasons. I mean, American leaders would say that they care about democracy and human rights and that Taiwan is a bulwark of democratic values in East Asia. But there are other more pragmatic reasons as well. One is that Taiwan, remarkably, is the place of origin of 90% of the world's advanced semiconductors. So these are the tiny, powerful chips, computer chips, which go into everything from our mobile phones, our computers, to advanced weapon systems. Absolutely crucial to to the functioning of the modern world. And 90% of those come out of this, this small island. So that's clearly something that governments around the world, including China as well as the US, wish to project and preserve. Because if that supply dried up, it would be immensely consequential in ways you can imagine. I mean, the other big reason is that Taiwan has this very important strategic position Strategists often talk about the first island chain. If you think of um, mainland China, this vast continental country, then there's this chain of islands a few hundred miles off it. And those islands include all the Japanese islands, the north of the Philippines, the island of Borneo, and right in the middle is Taiwan. It's at the centre of very important sea lanes. So who controls Taiwan? also controls a very large area of strategically important land and air territory and sea territory. So it really would be extending China's borders into a strategic hub. Given all of that and how important it seems to be to America, what is America's relationship with Taiwan? I mean, do they recognise Taiwan as an independent country? No, they don't recognise Taiwan as an independent country, technically, in the 1970s, first the United States and then other countries began to recognize China diplomatically. Uh, Until the 1970s, many governments regarded Taiwan as the, the rightful China. 
And the idea was that um, one day Taiwan will overcome the communist forces on the mainland and run all of China from Beijing. Now, for a very long time, it's been obvious that that's that, that's a delusion. That's never going to happen. Mm. Taiwan is just too small. So in the 1970s, President Richard Nixon and then other governments recognized China as a legitimate government. But China's condition was that they de-recognized Taiwan. And that's what happened. Most countries switched their diplomatic recognition from Taipei to Beijing so in Beijing, the United States in common with other, most other countries has an embassy. In Taipei, they only have what's called a kind of interests office. And the United States supports Taiwan militarily in very important ways. It supplies it with defense equipment, uh, including things like fighter jets, artillery systems, very advanced weapon systems, in order to defend it from any potential invasion by China. That's so interesting. So although they don't recognise it officially as a country, they clearly treat it as one and they're willing to support them militarily. How far does that go? I mean, if China was to invade Taiwan tomorrow, would America fight their corner? Well, that's a crucial question, of course. And for a long time, the American policy was something called strategic ambiguity which means that they, they just didn't answer that question. Under Joe Biden, I have to say, strategic ambiguity has become less ambiguous. <laughs> so he's been asked a few times whether the United States would send military personnel to Taiwan to defend it. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are? Would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. To be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women, would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion? Yes. What that would mean in practice, we don't know. Would that mean divisions of US Marines based in Japan? Or would it mean just a few military advisors? It's not clear, and we haven't got to that point yet. The State Department, the US State Department, insists that there hasn't been a change of position. But certainly the, the emphasis under President Biden has changed. about China's attitude to Taiwan? Why does it matter so much to them? It's a fair question. Why shouldn't China just let Taiwan be? Uh, it's not as if Taiwan you know, offers any threat to China anymore. They're not going to launch a, a nationalist invasion of the mainland. The answer, I think, is that it's a deeply embedded fundamental element of China's national identity and of the patriotic identity projected by the Chinese Communist Party, that China is one nation united under the Communist Party, and that Taiwan must be part of that. It's a kind of irritant, almost a wound in the minds of many in the, the Chinese Communist Party, that Taiwan remains unincorporated with the motherland. So it's almost unfinished business, I suppose. If 
China was to invade at some point, if it was to win Taiwan back, I mean, what would that even look like? How would life on Taiwan change? Well, nobody knows. It's really very hard to imagine Taiwan under communist rule because it is such a free and independent society. I mean, many Taiwanese looked with with horror at what happened in Hong Kong in 2019 when the the pro-democracy demonstrations there were, were suppressed and the national security law was introduced and opposition was you know very quickly extirpated almost completely uh, in what had been rather lively political culture so the the idea which you know has been held out by China before that by rejoining Taiwan Taiwan could retain uh, some of its freedoms its unique character that's really not believable now to many people in Taiwan because they saw what happened in in Hong Kong this i think is is the reason why an invasion of Taiwan the use of force by China is is very difficult to imagine because even if you did physically invade the island, which would be an immense military undertaking and by no means certain of success, then you would have to govern and rule it politically. And there's no question, I think, that Taiwanese would resist that at least as fiercely as Ukrainians have resisted invasion or domination by Russia. Would an easier way of taking over the island be for an election won by a pro-China government? Obviously, that, that's what they would like. They would prefer what they call peaceful reunification, where Taiwanese choose to rejoin China by their own volition. That's not going to happen. This is the, I think, the frustrating thing for for Xi Jinping is that he doesn't really have many options. I mean, for a long time, that was the dream, that um, slowly over time, through building educational links, personal links, business links, and so on, that the two would sort of come gradually together and find a way of, of unifying, find an understanding of the kind that Hong Kong used to have. But I think that that dream has gone now. So the question then is, what other options does Xi Jinping have? All the possible resolutions to the conflict, the political conflict, are very difficult to imagine. It's difficult to imagine Xi Jinping and, and the Chinese Communist Party giving in, abandoning their claims. At the same time, it's very difficult to imagine Taiwanese yielding to them. Where does that leave us in a state of extreme political tension? And I think that's going to continue probably far into the future. But I don't think it's going to result in a war in the next few years. And let's hope very much that I'm not proved wrong on that. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Asia editor for The Times, Richard Lloyd Parry. If you're a subscriber, you can read all of Richard's coverage of tomorrow's election and his deep dive on China's misinformation campaign at thetimes.co.uk. This episode was produced by Taryn Siegel. The executive producer was Fiona Leach. 
and sound design was by Mao Lissetto. If you can, please do leave us a review. If possible, make it a nice one. And if you are voting this weekend, good luck. If you're not, don't worry. Chances are it'll be your turn in a few months' time. Either way, I hope you have a lovely weekend. Thanks for listening.